Okay, just getting this set up now into Facebook so that we can stream into there. Let me share into group. Into Council and Connect. No, it's not going to work. That's okay. All right, so we're letting people into the room now. Admit, admit, admit. Okay. Hi, Michaela, how are you going? I'm good, how are you? Good, looking That's forward good. to morning. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hi, Rory. It's nice to see you. Joanna, good morning. Hi. Hi, nice to meet you, Brooklyn. It's so nice to meet you too. Um, thank you so much for giving us your time this morning. Thank you for the opportunity. Really? Always good to speak with people. Yes. Okay, I'm just letting some people into the room. We'll get started in a moment. Um, I also had a thread going in our um, bigger community asking people if they had any questions because there are a lot of people that were in session today that weren't able to make it. Um, so I've printed them off, but um, I'll let everybody here ask a question first and I'll try and keep track so that I'm not doubling up for you because I don't want it to feel like an interrogation. <laughs> okay. So we might get started because it's 11 on the nose. Um, I just want to take a moment, everybody, to welcome Joanna um, for the meeting today. Joanna DeWeaver is the CEO of PACFA, and she's been doing a wonderful job there since. When did you become the CEO there? It feels like it was about, was it 18 months ago? Two years ago. Two years ago, Yes. And she's been involved in some big things, like going and speaking at the, um, was it the Committee for Mental Health Suicide Awareness? It's got such a long name. I get it wrong every time. Yeah. <laughs> it was the Select Inquiry into Suicide Prevention and Mental Health. Right. So lots of big things over there. And um, as you know, Joanna and Philip both attended recently a discussion about the national standards. And I know that there was a lot of... Um, questions in our community about that and some concerns. Some people are very excited about it and some people have questions. And so I just wanted to see if it was possible that maybe we could go straight to the source and ask Joanna, um, you know, for her thoughts on things and get her considered opinion and appreciating she can share what she can share and other things she may not be able to as well. Um, but thank you so, 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 so much. Really appreciate it. It's a great opportunity. It's always good to talk about the work of our members and to talk about the profession more broadly. That's what I'm here for. Lovely. Okay, everybody. So we also have um, a chat box in the bottom of Zoom. So if we could all just keep ourselves on mute. You want to... Um, put questions in the chat that we can ask Joanna. That's fine. I'll keep an eye on that as it's going along. Um, but if there's somebody that does have a question, Joanna, is it okay if people just jump on and just ask you a question? 
Look, it is. Um, and what I'll probably try and do is provide a, a rounded answer um, to prevent people from asking the same question multiple sure. times. I'm um, just to keep it interesting for your group and I'm always happy to provide more detail. Um, unfortunately, I can't provide you know, detail about someone's particular circumstances. Everything I'm saying is just kind of more broad about what we're seeing um, across the sector as a whole. Thank you so much. Yes. Okay. Was there somebody that had a question that they wanted to ask about the national standards? So we're just going to try and stick to national standards today, if that's okay. Is there anybody on that wants to ask a question or shall I read some of the questions from the thread? Or Joanna, would you like to tell us a little bit like about what just... they are? Yeah, well, <laughs> look, and I, I think this is actually a really important place to start because, um, to be honest, having an hour conversation about the national standards at the moment um, it probably isn't going to work because there are no national standards and there is no information about what it's going to look like yet. It is all still very hypothetical. Uh, and the impact also of what, about what it means and what it could mean or how it will play out, these are all things that we don't know. You know, so the first thing I would say is, you know, it's really exciting to have an opportunity to talk about the sector more broadly. Um, and the question of national standards goes to really key questions about what is a counsellor? What does a counsellor do? How does this fit in as part of the mental health sector? Where's the opportunity um, for our members? Um, and so those are all really good questions and it's really good that um, people are asking them and thinking about them. Um, but the reality is if I just take a minute to explain to you a little bit about how government works and how this emerged, um, we don't have most of those answers yet. This is the start of a bigger conversation um, for the sector, okay? Um, so basically, um, as Brooklyn has outlined, the, the creation of national standards for um, counselling and psychotherapy was a recommendation out of the Select Inquiry. The Select Inquiry was a bipartisan group of politicians who came together and took submissions across the sector hundreds and hundreds of submissions um, over about 12 months. It was a very exhaustive process um, of people saying, of experts from the sector saying what they thought could be done better. That, that was the point of it. So that's actually a really good, valuable conversation to be had. And the point of it being a select inquiry is that um, the government has to listen to it and you have basically a group of politicians trapped in a room who have to hear the voices of the sector for, for that for that time, um, which is really good because sometimes it can be hard to get politicians' attention to what you think is really important. So um, PACFA presented to the inquiry. Dr. Dysto and myself went um, attended virtually. Um, it was led by Fiona Martin and the deputy was Emma McBride. So that was really good because it meant that even when government changed, you still had someone in government who understood what the point of that conversation had been. Um, it made, it was like a 300 page document. And if you have a look at the document and do a, do a control F for counselling, you'll pick up any content that relates to, to counsellors. It's available on Google or on the website via Google. Um, and the key recommendation was the creation of national standards, specifically um, a national standard that set a baseline for training and registration. Now, you can have national standards in many different ways. You can have national standards for client care. You can have national standards for accessibility. You can have national standards in many areas. Um, but basically, during the select inquiry, um, PACFA and ACA and a range of other people were saying the mental health workforce is in crisis. Um, we all know that people need more help. Um, the waiting list for psychologists are, are massive and out of control. And then, you know, PACFA and ACA were standing there saying, well, actually, we've got great people. We've got highly trained people who are so keen to step forward and, and help the community at this time of need. 
and you know expressing that frustration about why is that actually not happening that how can we have these these two how can these two things be true at the same time we've got this enormous need we've got this workforce that's being underutilized and we had um significant research through our workforce study um, that showed that we had highly trained people who were available um, and in particular we had a stat that we'd done with our members shortly after i started which said um how long, how long would it take for you, for you to see a new client? And um, more than 60% of our members said they could see a new client within two weeks. And that was at the peak of COVID. So that was, you know, obviously a really valuable piece of information and it made the government kind of sit up and pay a bit of attention. And so then when we dug, when they dug down through the committee about why they weren't, why these two things were true at the same time, it came down to the fact that there was a lack of confidence in the, in the profession. And that, that, you know, that's not great for us to hear. Like that's disappointing and um, demoralising. Um, but it also fits with some of the feedback we've got from other stakeholders and other places. And it kind of explains some of the difficulty the profession's been facing in the last 10 to 15 years. Um, so as a new CEO, I, you know, I thought this was something that was, was really interesting because it's not something that was communicated to me by my members or by people in the counselling sector. It was communicated to us by government and by people outside the counselling sector. And like any relationship, you have to listen to what other people are telling you, even if you don't agree with it. Um, so the national standards are effectively the government's investment, which is really important. This is the first time they have actually invested money um, it's their investment as they seek to have to work with us to explain what the counselling workforce looks like or what it should look like and where the capacity is for how the counselling workforce can fit in with the broader mental health care sector uh, and how we can prevent that situation that occurred during COVID where we, we want work and they want work but nothing kind of happens. Um, so overall, the national standards are an exciting opportunity. Now, the quick question is always, what do they look like? We don't know. This is a two-year project. Um, it will be probably 12 months of appointing a consultant, um, not someone from PAC4 or ACA. It'll be a government kind of independent person from the sector more broadly who will then provide, who will then run a consultation process, who will talk to people, he will talk to the sector, um, or he or she, I should say, um, and they will also talk to primary health networks, to government, to service providers, and they will say, I would expect them to say, where can counsellors fit into the model of the workforce that you have at the moment? Where, why are we having such a huge lag in services? Um, where can we improve our systems and how can counsellors and psychotherapists play a really valuable role in that? Uh, and then essentially, the second half of the project will be the development of documentation that articulates that. So when that's articulated for us, then we as the sector, you all, um, you know, everywhere that we are, um, have a choice. Do we agree with that? Do we want to do it? Do we not agree with that? And, and then, so, so, so this is the first of a series of opportunities. Does that give us somewhere to start? Absolutely. Thank you so much for clarifying. It's tricky, and it's particularly tricky if you haven't um, been involved with government before because they have a very specific way of doing things. Uh, they have specific channels that you must utilise in order to influence them. Um, and and it's, it's quite different to the standard everyday business of, of, 
of providing counselling or providing healthcare and education and all the other things that everyone's busy with. Mm -hmm. Can I just ask, um, is the is the vision or is the direction that this is heading in something like setting up a in psychology, there's the psychology board and there's APRA and things like that. Is, is so that's that a, what the national a, standards is a, okay. no. So that was something that was quite clear. We've had one preliminary meeting, which was with the head of the Department of Health, who is um, very committed to this project, which is a good thing. Um, but we need people in government to think that this is important. Um, if they don't, then no one talks to us and nothing happens. So the alternative, you know, you don't get a choice between the kind of attention you want uh, and the kind of attention you get. You get a choice between the attention you get and no attention. So, you know, like it's kind of worth keeping that in mind. Um, so, but it was quite clear at that meeting that um, that the government's quite happy with the sector being self-regulated um, unless we decide that we really, really want to be part of APRA. And that's something that, that it's up to the members and the broader conversation. Um, it, that's not surprising because APRA is tremendously expensive to run. Uh, and every time the government brings in another profession, that costs them a lot of money. Um, and I think it's worth just clarifying um, so I've worked previously in pharmacy and I'm pretty familiar with psychology. Um, obviously, I'm not a counsellor or psychotherapist. I'm a workforce strategist, I suppose. Um, and, you know, in the self-regulating sector, PACFA um, is a small organisation um, that does accreditation, registration um, and membership through CPD and other kinds of activities. Now, looking at those other sectors, which are APRA regulated, they have three organisations, each of which is bigger than PACFA, across three key functions. Um, using psychology, you have the APS and AAPI both doing membership. You have APRA doing registration, which includes ethics and complaints. And you have APAC doing um, the accreditation of courses. So those sectors are much, much bigger and the organisations and resources that go into running them are much, much more comprehensive. Um, the counselling is still very small in comparison to those. And it, you know, it's unlikely that the government is going to want to commit that kind of resources to, to regulating it. Okay, thank you so much for clarifying that because it's something that's come up a little bit in the group. So I just thought I'd dive in there. Um, uh, I, know, I noticed a couple of questions are coming through the chat. Um, is it okay to jump in and answer them if we can? Um, yeah, I know all the caveats apply. So um, Annette's saying, do you know if there'll be different levels of counsellors within the national standards? We don't know yet. Okay. Um, what I can say is that PACFA will be advocating for a tertiary qualification um, as the baseline for registration um, because that's what we believe is necessary to ensure that counsellors can get the recognition and remuneration that they need um, at the same level as other allied health professionals. So we're not picking a standard out of midair to just keep ourselves in business or to, to keep everyone happy. Um, we're looking at the sector uh, and we're trying to you know, make sure that our members are positioned in a way that they can work as part of those multidisciplinary teams. They can be, um, they can liaise um, in acute settings as necessary. Um, they can access or they have an argument to access the benefits of being a healthcare professional, such as GST exemption. Um, and I think the reality is across the sector, uh, across the healthcare setting, um, you know, a tertiary qualification, and which is AQF7 or above, is the baseline. Um, and we would be really, really pushing against 
everything that everyone else has established before us if we were to deny that. Um, that doesn't mean that there aren't great people out there doing great work with different qualifications. Of course there are. Um, but to a degree, as an organisation, we've had a really tough, well, as a sector, I would say, we've had a really tough 10 or 15 years. Um, and so we have a choice about how we position ourselves going forward, you know, how we make this work for the majority of the people, and also how we make sure that the right people can support this community with the best and most appropriate levels of safety and quality. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and I hope that helped answer your question. Good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thumbs up. <laughs> um, Alana saying, what do the changes to PACFA's requirements mean for current members? Uh, well, no, we haven't changed our requirements um, and there's no change to our requirements and there's no, there's no impact on our current members. If you're perhaps thinking about the um, membership of ARPA, which happened last year, which did involve a small change to our membership requirements. Um, that also had no impact on our members because everyone who was already a member was accepted as part of APA. Um, most of the sector is going through, you know, most of the professions are going through the same professionalisation journey, just at different points. You know, some, some professions are ahead of us, some are probably behind us. Uh, and it, it's very well recognised that, that, that other qualifications have been the most common and highly successful way of bringing people into the sector for a very, very long time. Uh, and we certainly have members who have historic qualifications that are not superficially at the same level that we are, we are asking for now. Um, but because they were already members, they, you know, they were well and truly accepted and supported through the ARPA model, and we will continue to advocate and support for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was something else that came up. Somebody was asking, um, is there going to be grandfathering if there are changes um, that do come about as part of national standards will, that affect current members, like would they be grandfathering? Is that something that we can consider or discuss? Look, I mean, it's a good question. Um, I don't. I think registration is a legal requirement, so it's different to a range of other membership elements. Um, and I think the registration is fundamentally about safety and quality, um, and. You know, I, I, offer, I sometimes use a, an analogy of, you know, I have lots of friends who learned how to drive a car in their, in their family farm in the back paddock and, and they did a great job and they were perfectly safe. Um, but when it came to going out to the road, they still had to get a license. Uh, and some of them, when they went for their license, discovered that there was a whole lot of stuff that they didn't actually know. Um, some of them were fine and they got through that license super fast because it was easy because they already had relevant, um, useful experience. So. Registration is a legal requirement that's not really about the practice, that's not really for the, for the practitioner's benefit per se. It's actually to reassure the community that anyone that you go and see, that you have a private session with, that you sit in a, a private space with, that you're vulnerable with, and that you provide, you know, that you share, um, you know, that, that you work within a counseling space has the skills and qualifications to be able to do that job. And the reality is that. That, that's a social license that every profession makes um, with the public. Um, so, you know, I think it's it's not surprising that at the end of the day, you know, you, you the, I think the profession has to think about, you know, either you can be important, if you, if, if you want to do important work, then you need to accept the responsibilities that come along with doing important work. 
you know, uh, and some of those some of those responsibilities come with the opportunities to be GST exempt and to work um, in healthcare settings and to to do the many interesting and valuable things that healthcare professionals do. Um, if you don't want to do that, then there are other types of jobs and other roles which can still provide that opportunity for interpersonal communication and important relationships. Um, but it, it's not fundamentally counselling in the way that PACFA um, defines it and expects it to be professionalised. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for answering that. Um, I hope that that answers your question there, um, Alana. Uh, she had a follow-up question that was if the goal... Sorry, you go. Look, I was just thinking, because the question was originally about grandfathering, wasn't it? And I thought... <laughs> I got carried away. Sorry, it is quite difficult to try and you know um, tie it down. Um, so the reality is, whatever comes out of the national standards, yeah, you know, it will be probably guidelines and endorsement. You know what the government wants to see. It will be up to people whether they follow them or not. Um, it it will take a number of years to roll out. Nothing ever happens quickly in the government. Um, there will be there will be some there will be opportunities to upskill and to transfer. And this is just my opinion. I'm not saying that this is what's going to happen, you know, formally because we don't know yet. But generally speaking, there will be opportunities and there may be some grandfathering. Um, but the reality is it will depend on what level people are at and what types of qualifications they have. Thank you. That's really clear now. Okay. Um... Yes, Alana had a quick follow-up question there, which was, um, I think, just linking back to what you were saying before about being self-regulated. She's saying if the goal is to stay self-regulated, is there still a hope for being able to get Medicare rebates in the future? Look, there is. I mean, there are self-regulated um, social workers and OTs are both self-regulated. Uh, so Medicare rebates are not um, reliant on APRA. Um, it's the most common model. Um, I think better access and Medicare are likely to come in for a big change in the next couple of years. So I would not be making any decisions based on the current structure and model because, um, you know, they're likely to be significantly different in a few, in, in, in the near future, or at least in the next five years, I would say. Um, so yeah, I, you know, it, the Medicare eligibility framework is an important but small part of this project. This is not the national standards are not to get us over the line for Medicare. The national standards are much more broad reaching. And certainly from PACFA's point of view, I'd really like to see a much greater utilisation of counsellors and psychotherapists in employment. Um, because at the end of the day, that is where a lot of key learning, support and client care actually occurs. Mm -hmm. In the employment sector? You know, in I mean, we we don't see as many, we near as many counsellors in um, acute settings, in primary health networks, in GPs practices, in schools, in justice, in you know, in all the social services. Um, there's a huge demand for counselling skills and experience in those settings, um, but a lot of those jobs are being filled by other professions, and you know, and I think that that's one of the key things we really want to tackle. Yes. Okay, Rachel is. Um just asking about her diploma she was saying she needs to know if she finishes a diploma by um, the end of June will she be okay in regards to basic level accreditation with PACFA well um well it's interesting when we talk about diploma people we often we talk about diplomas and actually there are multiple different types of 
people with diplomas and diplomas themselves actually um so personally i would just separate that i would just flag that separate that out into three kind of categories okay i would you know i mean the reality is um we have graduate diplomas people mm -hmm. who are doing a graduate diploma in counseling and psychotherapy they are that is already a key membership group for PACFA they can you know an enormous number of our registrants um, have graduate diplomas. Um, so that's a group that we're already working with quite strongly. And certainly given that counseling is a really common second or third career uh, and given the really good reasons for that and the strengths that that adds to our workforce and to, to the practice more broadly, that's a group of people that PACFA is very committed to advocating for. Um, alongside that, we have um, people who have got a diploma in counseling, but have another relevant AQF seven or above qualifications. So we see quite a lot of people who have a psychology qualification or a social work qualification, uh, or mental health nursing, nursing, teaching, all things that um, contribute to the development of really relevant therapeutic relationship skills. Um, and we would like to see those people, we know they're already working in counselling roles. There's no doubt about that. But we would really like to see those people able to register with PACFA. And we're, we're putting the finishing touches on a recognition of prior learning pathway at the moment that will enable that to happen. Um, because, so, you know, they're, so they're talked about as diplomas, but actually they've already they've got quite significant university qualifications in that space. And it's just a problem that we're not recognising that properly. Right. Um, and then the other, the other group is people who only have a diploma. Uh -huh. And, you know, and those people, as I've just said, they can be doing great work. But the reality is that a diploma, typically a 12-month qualification, simply doesn't meet the same depth of training that is required for all the other allied health professionals, the professions that we really want to be regarded positively with and against. Um, and so those, you know, PACFA hasn't, doesn't accept um, diploma-only members. Uh, we have an affiliate category, which is like a kind of supportive role for, for early career. Um, but it's not a practicing group for us. Thank you. It was helpful to hear the distinction there because you're right, there are um, those three levels and even in our community, we have those three levels of um, diploma as well. And I think that's where some of the confusion comes in. So it was really helpful to hear that. Thank you. Um, Michaela was just sharing there, if the minimum qualifications for registration with PACFA will be tertiary, is there likely to be assistance for those who currently have a diploma to bridge that gap? She'd love to complete a bachelor, but her concern is the time and money for uni education. And, and that's a question for everyone. It's a question that everyone has to, you know, think through and, and work through in their own personal circumstances. We're a registration body. We're not government funded. So we don't provide any support for people individually, um, apart from trying to offer the best possible service we can through our own registration services. Um, and I already feel bad about the fact that our members, like all members in this sector, um, and in fact, like most member organisations in the allied health area, uh, you know, have to spend their own money to pay for advocacy about their profession to the government to get the government to work better in their area of practice. You know, I mean, I, one of the reasons why I work in this area is because the volunteers are so impressive. You know, the community has no idea that after people finish an allied health um, qualification and work a full day in pharmacy or psychology um, or medicine that they then go home and conduct committee meetings in the evening with their peers to talk about what practice should look like and then go to conferences on the weekend to get their CPD points up, um, you know, and, and then volunteer for their college 
um, or, or, or registration body for exams or for different types of things. So, you know, I think the reality is that the, bot, the membership bodies are already trying to do a lot um, and, and, and the pressure on volunteers and members is also a lot. Um, so, you know, we're doing the best we can. Thank you. Um, there was a question there about um, national standards and what do they mean for councillors who perhaps choose not to be part of PAC for ACA or an association? Will they still be able to do things like, you know, run their own businesses and work in private practice? Will they be able to access any of the benefits of whatever, you know, the national standards may bring? Look, I think that's a really interesting question. I must admit that's something I've seen more discussed in the last year and I'm a bit perplexed by it. Um, I mean, the reality is registration is a commitment that we make to, to, to providing safety for the community. You know, it, it's not actually um, the same as membership with an organisation, whether you like their CPD or whether you don't like their CPD. Um, so I think it's, um, it's, you know, we recently had a situation where a member went into, we got an email, we, we got contacted by a lawyer and someone had been in family court speaking on behalf of their client. Uh, and it turned out halfway through that, that their registration had lapsed. Uh, and that was very, very bad for their client's case um, because it became all about the therapist, not about the client. Um, it would have been infinitely worse if that practitioner had not been registered at all. Uh, they would have been, um, they would have had a really hard time with the lawyer. They would have had a really hard time defending their own practice. Um, the reality for why we have registration is because it shows that we're committed to safety and quality for the benefit of the community. Um, so I think there's some good questions as to why people would want to not be registered um, and whether they really consider themselves providing a healthcare service or not, uh, because registration is something specific to healthcare. Uh, so, you know, and so the reasons why we can, we can be part of the NDIS or the reasons why we can um, claim GST exemption is because we're providing healthcare services or social services that are very, very close to healthcare. Um, so if people don't want to be registered, I have to really question what exactly they think they're providing um, and why they think they would also be able to uh, get those other benefits of, of, the, of the profession. Yeah, but that's not up to me. That will be up to, you know, the, in the national standards, if that is covered, that will be up to the government to decide how much they value registration. Um, but I think if you look at allied health as a whole, registration itself is, is regarded pretty highly. Thank you. I hope, Suzanne, that was helpful for you to hear. Um, Tricia was just asking there, what do you class as a minimum tertiary level qualification? Uh, AQF7 is bachelor. Uh, and then eight is graduate diploma, nine is master's. Um, you probably would be aware, most of your people will probably be aware that a lot of the private health insurers and some of the workers' compensation funders have already drawn a line, regardless of anything we might have said, um, at the master's level or at bachelor and master's only. Um, and I think that's interesting. You know, that shows that when, um, when, when we don't have our own standards, the funders make their own. And it may not necessarily be at the point that we think it should be. Um, so that's a part of the value of the national standards is that it is a process that we can 
participate in and, and argue with and say, this is what we want and this is why we want it. Um, because the reality is those decisions are made without us otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I think sometimes two things get appropriated from other professional sectors and just applied to, to counsellors and or the counselling profession, the counselling industry, like things get taken from psychology and they just say, well, counsellors are kind of like psychologists, so we'll just pop the psychology framework over here. It doesn't always fit. Look, and that's true. Um, but I think there's an important difference. Yeah, I think we need to be able to work out where that's a huge problem and where it's less of a problem. Uh, I mean, we're talking, if we're talking about practice, clearly it's a huge problem. We're not suggesting that, that you know, the clinical framework for psychology should just be delivered by counsellors. That's no, that's no... There's no point for that at all. If we're talking about standards for safety and quality around how the kind of respect someone should be should be treated with and the kind of quality assurance frameworks they should be able to access, well, then a bit of standardisation is probably efficient um, and means that people have a consistent experience across healthcare at a broader level. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, part of what PACT has been doing for the last two years is looking at you know, we, we can't expect the government to invest an enormous amount of time and energy understanding us. They've got a country to run. They've got lots of other things to do, you know. Um, so we need to make it, you know, we need to put some time and energy into making sure that what we're doing is, is explicit and clear and transparent and easy for them to understand. Um, and using the Allied Health Framework, you know, being a part of the Allied Health Professionals Australia, joining the National Alliance for Self-Regulating Health Professionals, these are all ways that we show the government that we do understand what they're talking about and these are the standards that we can meet. doesn't mean that we abandon the, you know, the, the philosophy of practice or that we give up the individual integrity of each practitioner. It's, this is you know, at an organisational kind of framework level. Thank you. I just wanted to share with you that um, Tricia was saying thank you so much. She loves the recognition in prior learning experience for those who've worked in mental health for years, for example, possibly have another related bachelor's and, and a diploma. And she said, fantastic. And Cynthia also wanted to say thank you for clearing up around other allied health qualifications in mental health being recognised. Yeah. That's a particular, that's a particular um, project for me. Like, I just think that that's so important. So I'm really glad that people are supportive of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Louise was saying um, she apologises for circling back, but she was just wondering about career transitions with non-health undergraduate degrees, but then counselling or psychotherapy postgrad quals, would they be eligible for registration? Oh, it would depend on the registration body. You know, um, so I'm only talking about PACFA. Uh, there are other other bodies with other allocations of, of and ideas um and and there are other there are other organizations with different visions for the profession too so it really is up to people to to make sure that they pick something that really suits them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Michaela was coming back just uh asking if the minimum calls for registration will be tertiary is there oh I've already answered that one sorry I'm doubling back it seems to have popped up again Look, it's, it's a big question, um, but I just want to reiterate, PACFA's requirements haven't changed and we're not anticipating them change, changing. You know, if, if people, it might be necessary for people to have in-depth conversations with other bodies um, yeah. if they think that this is going to be problematic for them. Mm -hmm. Suzanne was just um, 
asking there. She had two questions. She was wondering what will national standards mean for training organisations and accredited courses? And she thinks she saw on another interview that um, you recently did that we can still join PACFA even if our course isn't accredited. Is this correct? Yes. So, um, okay, so the question about, I actually think training providers are going to love this. Like, let's be honest, you know, it's really hard for them to work out how they invest their time and energy in counselling training. They're like, oh, we could do it here and we'll get them into there. But if we do it here, that'll be better. Like, you know, so they have to make a number of really complex assessments about how to how to manage um, their time and energy. And so the national standards will provide some clarity, even for people who decide that that's not what they're going to do. At least then, you know, there's nothing worse than trying to make a decision in the dark. Like when you've got all the information, then you can be, okay, you know, this is how it's going to work. Um, and so I think that in itself is actually going to be really valuable. And I think training providers are going to be, this is going to be really good for them. And I think overall, it's going to be really good for the profession, to be honest. Um, the second part of that question, sorry, what was it? The second part of that question was, oh, would they be eligible for registration? Oh, no, hang on. Sorry, they're jumping around because people are responding to this. Oh, the second part of the question was, um, oh, just was it true? That's all. So we've done both parts of the question. Was something true? Yeah, just oh, was it true? Right, so that's right. Now let me let me dig into this a little bit because um, it's okay. it surprises me that a lot of people are not aware of this. Um, and for that, we you know we need to own up that maybe we haven't communicated it as well as we should. So about sixty percent of PACFA's registrants actually have done non-accredited courses. Um, so it's a lot of our members. Um, and what that basically means is they've done a course that has not actually gone through the accreditation pathway with with us. But when they apply, and they do pay a slightly higher application fee, um, their registration application is assessed against our training standards. And our training standards are on our website and they have a range of very kind of clear requirements around the number of hours um, undertaken, the length of placement. Um, and if the non-accredited course meets those requirements, and a lot of them do, um, they will be accepted for registration without any kind of concern. Um, so that's, yeah. Accreditation is easier and simpler um, because it means you just come through and you pay less money and you don't have to be really, I mean, you're still assessed, to be honest, but it's not at the same level. Um, but the non-accredited pathway is very, very commonplace. And it's, you know, I think it's part of recognising that the sector is more varied and diverse than, than, it, you know, than it was in the past and certainly reflecting, you know, the real world. Yeah, I really love that recognition. And I like the idea too that there are other um, health professionals who are delivering counselling services, but they may not have gone and done their counselling diploma or the counselling something else. So it's a great option for them as well to be able to, yeah, have that pathway. I mean, I think it's it's worth people thinking about this in terms of professional identity. You know, and I don't necessarily have the answers. This is a you know, this is something the membership I think and the sector broadly I think are thinking about at the moment. You know who who calls themselves a counsellor and why do they call themselves a counsellor and what is it that's important about that? And so what PACFA wants to do is support that. You know, so um, you know you can be a psychologist or you could be a social worker um, or you can have a counselling qualification. We want to be we want to bring everyone in. Um, and then make sure that we really support as an organisation um, 
counselling skills and expertise and recognition of it. Um, and so that's part of the reason why we've also we're also investing in some you know advanced recognition of counselling. You know that's through our colleges. We've got the College of Psychotherapy, relationship counselling, creative and experiential therapies. Because once you've got over that foundational line to get into the organisation, um, we want people to to thrive. You know to to undertake other training. You know whether it's AQF or not doesn't have to be. Um, training with private training tra training providers um, in the modalities is incredibly valuable. Um, but we do want to be able to talk to government about our amazingly qualified and highly skilled practitioners, you know, about counsellors who can bring really high-level skills um, in. And so we're recognising that that, base start, that that the baseline of registration can be a bit different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Just checking um, the chat there again. And Alana was asking, um, as far as PACFA goes, in terms of qualifications, would a Master of Sexology as be considered a upper-level qualification? Uh, well, it's ma Master's, so it's level nine. So it would depend on how much the, of the content was relevant to counselling, but I would expect it. Um, but really, fundamentally, it would be we have information on our website that, that covers off the kind of registration requirements and I don't want to be giving people career advice in case I, you know, step over the wrong space. Um, what I would say is that any course that has been accredited with us is accredited for people, is um, can still be used as an accredited course for any person who's applying who was a graduate at the time that that accreditation, accreditation applied. So if that has just, it's, if it's no longer accredited, but you graduated when it was accredited, then effectively it's still accredited, okay. um, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's really helpful to know because there was also a lot of discussion in the group recently about some people who had finished courses that were accredited when they started but aren't accredited when they finish. And so they're worried about that. So thank you for clarifying. Yeah, look, and so as long as it was accredited at the time that they were a student, it yeah. should be fine. Perfect. Okay, um, Annette was just asking, do you think there'll be a change in the yearly PD hours needed? Look, I mean, I really don't know. Um, I wouldn't think so, given that the yearly PD hours are largely comparable with other allied health professions at the moment. Um, and that's the space that I would keep watching. Perfect. Okay. Um, and another question just popped in there from Michaela. And she's just asking, will those with only the diploma and no other quals, so not the other two levels, be able to work in private practice with registration? Uh, look, I can, because I'm trying to keep an eye on the chat at the same time so that yeah. I can help people. <laughs> and I can see that that question specifically relates to a different organisation. Yeah. So I think that's probably one for them. Yeah. Um, what I would say is that PACFA supports the important role of private practice. Uh, private practice is, you know, a key um, employment opportunity and support for the broader community. But we also we also think that it's something people should come at after some employment and broader experience in counselling. Um, so it's not, you know, we're not particularly keen on the idea that someone finishes their qualification and then just goes into private practice. Um, that's that that's not that doesn't sit particularly comfortably with us. Um, we believe that you know that in order to best support the community and to be able to, to work work satisfactorily with a wider range of co a wider cohort of clients, um, that it's a really good idea to get broad experience in the effect in the sector first. And that's okay. part of the reason why we don't endorse that kind of individual practice at a diploma level. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Um, Jeremy was asking if he can pop on and ask his question instead of popping it in the chat. Is that okay? Sure. Welcome, Jeremy. Hi, Brooklyn. Hi, Joanna. Can you both hear me okay? Yes, but we can't see you. Uh, hang on. Sorry, I'm on my phone. That's why I thought it'd be a bit easier. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you setting this up in your time today. Um, I have a bit of a question about, so I have a good understanding, I think, of how the national standards will start to be consulted on and developed over the next couple of years. Um, what I'm curious about, Joanna, is what happens once those national standards are formalised and, and that process is finished? Um, is it something that, so there's probably a few parts to this and um, I'm happy for you to kind of answer it however you'd like, but is it something that the government will say, right, here's the standards and if you do not meet these standards as a practitioner, you cannot legally call yourself a counsellor? Or is it a situation where they're basically saying, here's the standards that we expect counsellors to meet and then it will be kind of an informal arrangement where we would say expect to see employers going we will only employ counsellors who meet these standards. I'm just curious if you can speak to what that, um, what yeah, what the end process of implementation looks like for the sector. Thanks. Thanks, Jeremy. Look, it's a good question. Um, and as always, you know, the devil is in the detail. Um, all I can speak to is my opinion um, at this point um, because naturally nothing has actually been decided. Um, I would expect that it will be the latter, which is it will be an a, basically a endorsement of a a scope of practice potentially, or a, a you know a PD or a set of an, an understanding of what a counsellor um, does best and how a counsellor could work in with other professionals and what kind of employers um, would find that really attractive uh, and potentially how that you know how that could sit. I was going to say how that could be remunerated, but that's probably going to too much detail. Um, so, but it will be, it, it will provide some clarity that we don't have. Whereas at the moment we have lots of people doing lots of different things. Um, the, it will be interesting because um, whilst I don't think that they're going to just make, they're not going to legislate in this area and they're not interested in regulating. Um, so it will largely come down to the organisations, organisational perspectives and so it will come down to the registration bodies that we currently have. Um, but at the same time, we need to understand that they do want change. So, you know, there's not um, just ignoring, like just going on our merry way and going, yeah, you say that you want this, but actually we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Um, you know, that that's probably in the long run not going to be helpful. Um, I would potentially say that's what we've been doing for the last five to 10 years. You know, we've just been going our own merry way and then complaining that we weren't getting access to any of the government benefits that we we thought we deserved. Uh, and what we've seen is that, you you know, you don't get invited in unless you're prepared to actually have a conversation and make some change. Awesome. Thank you. I, I should just say, I don't think anything's going to happen very quickly. You know, this is a five, 10 year kind of plan. Thank you. Um, Louise was just asking there about getting broader experience um, before going into private practice. She was wondering how much experience really and would six months be sufficient or 12 months? It's difficult in the sector with so many short-term contracts around due to funding. Yeah. Look, 
look, it is difficult um, and I'm not the person to advise that. You know, as I said, I'm, I'm not a counsellor and, and it's not my um, it's not my wheelhouse to advise people on how they should should run their, you know, organise their career. What I would say is that in other fields, people have years of experience before they go out and work by themselves, um, particularly given that private practice can be, you know, quite isolated, um, doesn't necessarily have access to the same level of supervision and engagement. There are things people can do to offset that, of course, uh, and I'm not saying that there aren't great people out there doing great things. Um, you know, that's a decision for each practitioner to make up to make themselves. Thank you. Um, look, we might just get ready to wrap it up there. I'm just mindful of um, Joanna's time and all of your time as well this morning. Are there any final questions or comments um, before we um, finish up? If there are, just pop them in the chat or you can feel free to raise your hand and you can pop on and um, yes, the one just come through there. Will we need to practice to the medical model like psychologists do? That's a big one, actually, that comes up a lot. No, very short answer. Uh, no one is interested in a, sub, a, a workforce full of not quite psychologists. Um, Counselors have enormous um, strengths uh, and capacity and skill and expertise in, our, you know, in your own realm of, of scope of practice. And, and we know that the community um, wants to see counsellors. They don't always want to see psychologists. Um, psychology has its own very definite need and it's very important. Um, but I firmly believe that, um, that counsellors are an important workforce and that the community would be better off if we could get better access for people to talk to counsellors uh, and to engage with them, you know, in a counselling model. Um, PACFA is by no means... Um, advocating for counsellors to, to adopt a medical model. What we are doing is speaking to the sector, the funders, um, the employers, um, to make sure that we can have a shared understanding so that counsellors have the opportunities to do what they do well um, at the highest possible levels. Um, you know, and that, and that sometimes that means having a conversation, you know, all right, so this is how I would handle a situation. This is how you would handle it. This is where my scope of practice is. This is where I would refer someone off. You know, this is something that I, you know, I'm not comfortable with. Um, this is a client that doesn't, doesn't work for me, you know, and so I think that's all about being a mature profession. Mm -hmm. Um, I just wanted to share with you there too that Louise was saying that she really appreciates PAC for advocating um, around the GST. Thank you. Um, that's been one of the th exciting things since we joined the Allied Health Professionals um, because we can now, I mean, it's all very well to say we shouldn't pay this, which everyone's been paying, saying for a long time, but now we can ally with other allied health professionals and say we can't we shouldn't pay this because it, you know, it's inequitable that some allied health professionals do and some don't and we all provide important healthcare services so that kind of goes back to what i was saying before about the benefits of being part of the health system mm -hmm. um you know and i think we've got a really good um i think there's a good chance that we could we should be able to make some change in that area it will probably take a couple of years but as we lift the profile of the organization as we make it easy for people to engage our workforce and understand what counsellors have to offer, then all those things will all, you know, like, like a river, they'll all come flowing in. Yes. Um, as Cynthia was saying, it's great to hear, especially when working with diverse culture and First Nations people, because sometimes the medical model actually creates barriers. Yeah. So I think the only thing we need to keep, the only thing we need to hold from the medical model 
is the requirement for safety. Mm-hmm. You know, is the safety and quality because at the end, because that that is that is paramount. Um, but the actual therapeutic care, the relationship, the the use of modalities, the philosophy of practice, those are all things that that you know counselling has enormous strength in, and Indigenous healing practice, um, psychotherapy, all the different parts of our professions. Um, we're really keen to support those. Thank you. And um, and it was just um, saying thank you, Joanna, for today for um, and to us for arranging this talk. So thank you. And uh, Louise was saying thanks so much for your time and for the conversation because it's provided a lot of clarity. It's really nice to have the opportunity to come and talk to people. You know, we're a small organisation. We are, we're, we're, you know, running a bit like mice in one of those wheels at the moment where we're trying to make a lot of changes and bring a lot of systems up up to speed um we're trying to be across the you know the work of three organizations rather than one um and so we're not always um as available and reaching out as much as we'd like so i really appreciate brooklyn inviting me today uh, and i'm certainly happy to have a chat anytime um and I, I should say that's one of the things that i did when i first joined PACFA. you know as ceo i'm always available to talk to members and sometimes not members, because we're always gathering information about what we can do better uh, and what, what the sector needs. So please, you know, feel free to reach out. And thank you for this opportunity, Brooklyn. Thank you so much for coming. It was wonderful to be able to just sit down, have some FaceTime um, with you. I think sometimes some of us can feel a little bit disconnected. It's like the organisation's over there and we're here trying to, to do the work. So this has really helped bridge a gap. Um, and really appreciate your time as well. And everybody's just started to say thank you in the comments um, to you as, as well. So we'll finish up there. Thank you again. And thank you, everybody, for giving up your time this morning as well. Um, this is being recorded, so it will um, be available to anybody who's interested in watching. And I'll make the audio available as well because um, I know that some people like to listen to the audio in their car as on the commute to and from the practice. So, um, yeah, thank you, everybody, and have a really lovely day. Thanks again, Joanna. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a great day. Bye.